unfortunately, my co-founder had the experience of having to evacuate his family because of one of the fires that hit his area. Good morning, good afternoon, welcome back, or if you have only discovered us, well, we are delighted to have you along and thank you for inviting us to join you, whatever you're doing this now. Now, I have something of a love-hate relationship with LinkedIn. On the one hand, LinkedIn has been very good to us at Instec at helping us distribute our content and finding out what is going on in the world. But I do slightly resent being at the mercy of the mystery LinkedIn algorithm for getting the message out. However, and you may have seen this, my recent post bemoaning the lack of any helpful small business insurance available online and my request for recommendations for help renewing our Instec insurance led to a lively discussion on the post about the state of broking for small businesses here in the UK. My thanks to everyone who joined that debate to recommend a decent broker or in fact for those of you who even recommended themselves. Now with so much advice, we have a new problem of figuring out who to follow up with. Well, where artificial intelligence falls short, it's good to see that social intelligence still helps plug the gaps. But enough about us. Today's guest is Kuran Duvar, co-founder of climate modeling company Zesty. We've been delighted to have Zesty as a member this year. And with so much going on in location intelligence, climate loss and climate change measurement, we had a lot to talk about, including another personal founder story about the impact of a disaster. So Let's learn about wildfires and other areas of climate-related risk. Kuma, delighted to have you today. We seem to be on a theme of having people coming in from uh, California. I think you're out in the Bay Area today. Yeah, that's right. Dialing in here bright and early. Nice to be here with you, Matthew, and uh, and your listeners to this podcast. So thank you so much for having us. No, we're delighted. Well, you are one of the co-founders of Zesty, one of the companies people have been hearing about a lot recently. You founded the company back in 2015. As I mentioned, you're based in California, but I know you're looking at perils more globally. You're looking at climate risk to help insurers underwrite and manage their portfolios. You started in wildfire, and we're going to be talking a bit more about how you're expanding that into other natural Perils, uh, according to our friends at PitchBook, you've raised $23 million. Uh, so yeah, so, so welcome. I'm one of the co-founders. Uh, I manage all of our uh, product development efforts, uh, product management, machine learning, uh, and, and engineering. And, uh, and as you mentioned, Matthew, we are making great strides in, in helping our customers who are primarily uh, carriers and reinsurers uh, get, get to a more refined understanding of uh, secondary perils. Perils like wildfire, perils like hail, perils like flood, which historically have been called secondary perils compared to hurricane, where there is a lot more understanding. So what we are trying to bring here is a more nuanced understanding of all these secondary perils. I don't want to have a fate by saying that earthquakes should be downgraded to a secondary peril or a tertiary peril because there haven't been any major earthquakes for a while in California. <laughs> so I'm not going to say that because who knows what might happen. But but yeah, as I'm sure we'll talk about, you know, wildfires have got a lot more active in recent years, not just in uh, in the US, but around the world. And certainly it's good, good timing to be building a product. But just coming a little bit back to where the company came from. So uh, Yuna Adila Toth, our co-founders, you both had you know, interesting and varied careers before you found Zesty, I noticed actually you were at both McKinsey. Did you did you actually know each other there? I noticed you overlapped by about a year, but were you in contact? Yeah, I met Atula, my uh, my co-founder uh, at McKinsey first. Uh, this is also our uh, third company together. Atula and I go way back about fifteen years of working together. 
both of our backgrounds are are in uh, data analytics uh, and AI. And we also had a fair bit of exposure to to uh, uh, commercial real estate. So when we when we started Zesty, you know, our thesis was that there was a lot of uh, data that is being generated about properties, and we wanted to see how we could make sense out of that. And then at the time, AI was just coming into its strides with all the new algorithms, deep learning, machine learning, and so on. We wanted to put all these new algorithms that were coming together with this explosion of unstructured data, and we wanted to make sense out of properties. So that's kind of how we started Zesty. Our foray into, into climate risks took an interesting turn. You know, as, 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 as you mentioned before, both Atla and I are from uh, the California Bay Area, and California has been immensely hit by, by wildfires. And unfortunately, my co-founder had the, had the experience of having to evacuate his family because of one of the fires that that hit his area, right? So that that hit really, um, you know, close to home for us. We combined all of this rich data set about properties, along with climate data, weather data, topography data, and by putting all of them together, we were able to essentially get to a very refined understanding of how one can think about wildfire risk. Very interesting that personal story. There, I had a few people who's built careers in the back of the personal story. So, so that was, I guess that was Attila's house that was under risk did it actually get hit by a fire or were they they evacuated but they didn't actually have their house damaged yeah fortunately their house didn't get affected but they did have to evacuate a lot of uncertainty and so on but luckily their home was spared yes yeah, so i guess it's really interesting the way you approach the problem so you you had the ability to analyze data you saw the data that was coming you were looking for a problem to solve and then this one emerged partly just because as we've mentioned wildfires have got more prevalent you know general thinking is they're going to continue getting getting prevalent can you just talk a little bit from a specific point of view for insurers what specific use case are you solving for or what problem are you helping them address so matthew we are primarily uh, helping our customers with uh, risk selection and rating i would say those are our primary uh, use cases uh, we have since now gotten into uh, uh, you know, some of the claims use cases as well, which I will talk about a little bit later. The way that carriers today are able to understand wildfire risk is by using models that are almost 30 years old and have really not been updated over the last, you know, few decades. What Zesty is able to do is really take that understanding down to a property level. We can go property by property and say, hey, is this property susceptible to wildfire damage versus a neighboring property? And this fine resolution of risk assessment will help our uh, is helping our our carriers do a better job of risk selection. Rather than saying I don't want to do business in California, they can still write business in California, but really focus on the properties that are lower risk according to their own risk profile. Right? That's risk selection. So, can I just want to jump in there? You had a point there about rating, and US, we've got admitted carriers. They have to rate file, but they're not. I assume using your model for rating on an individual property basis. Are they using it for defining rates and then they're filing that with the insurance commissioner? Is that when you talk about rating, is that how you're thinking about it? That's exactly right. So the product is being used both for underwriting, meaning risk selection, as well as for rating. Of course, in, in the United States, there are different, um, you know, each state has its own set of rules on whether you need to file for what use case and so on. But but that's exactly how our customers are using it. They're using it for rating as well. The model has been approved for rating in many of the wildfire-prone states in the U.S. And then you're talking about the ability now to go down to the resolution of an individual property. Can you talk about some of the factors that 
you need to be able to model and I guess look at some kind of the experience or predictions that help you get down to that level of resolution? Because you said that's a big difference from what was previously quite a low level of resolution of risk assessment. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, the way our product works is for every property, we provide two scores. We call the first score a level one score and the second score a level two score. The first score provides a sense of what is the risk of a property being involved in a wildfire event. So that's a little bit of a you know neighborhood type of score. Hey, is this area going to be at risk of a wildfire? The second score, which we call as the level two score, that gives you a sense of if this neighborhood gets affected by a wildfire, what is the likelihood that this property will actually be damaged? Interestingly, if you look at wildfire research and all the events that have happened in the past, wildfires don't destroy all properties when they happen. If you look at inside the wildfire perimeters, on average, about 30% of the properties get destroyed. So meaning 70% of the properties are still fine. And there is a reason why some of them get destroyed and some of them don't. It has to do with what type of combustible material is there around the property, how much vegetation they have. Vegetation can combust, right? It also is a function of how closely houses are packed one against the other. Because in the United States, housing is largely built out of wood. So wood is also, again, combustible. So that, that plays a role. It also matters, is the, is the property built according to fire-resistant code or not? What kind of material has gone into the construction? So we are able to take all of that stuff into account at a property-by-property basis. And we are using aerial imagery to be able to assess all of this. We take an image of a property and we are able to assess using our algorithms how much vegetation is there, what material is the property made of, how much buildings are there around the property, and all of that go into the level two score. So, so we are able to inform both if a wildfire is likely to happen in a region and the second part, which is will a structure actually get destroyed if a wildfire happens? Traditional models don't do that, right? They usually provide only the first part and that too at a very coarse resolution, more at a zip code or a postal code level or at a county or a district level, which is pretty broad. And you mentioned in there about the materials the property is made of. I, I can understand from aerial imagery, you can get some materials, but are you also tapping into yeah, building plans or, or things that have been filed separately that you can actually understand at some level of detail what the building has been actually made of, or is that more relying on what you can see from above? That's right. That's, that's exactly right. So we are able to tap into not only aerial imagery, but also other type of data sources like building permits, uh, um, you know, tax assessments. Usually re- real estate is assessed by uh, officials for property taxes and they record a lot of details about that assessment and we're able to tap into that as well. We combine that with topography data, um, you know, uh, climate data, weather data. So all of it goes into into these models to be able to assess that level one score and the level two score. You talk about AI and I, you know, from our discussions before, I, I believe you fall in the category of what I call real AI, meaning <laughs> you really are using artificial intelligence. You're just not using a, a spreadsheet and some formula. Um, but what about looking at your neighboring properties? You touched on that a little bit, but I imagine that the, the nature of the na- your neighbor's property and how well they keep their vegetation cut back is going to have an impact on your own property. So does, do the analytics look at what's surrounding the specific property you have interest and see how that might? Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. So what, what we have seen from our research is, is it is not only important to keep your own property free of combustible material, but in some sense, you are also, your property's risk is a function of how the neighborhood keeps its vegetation, right? So we look at what is called a primary defensible zone, which is about 30 feet around the property. 
But then we also look at secondary defensible zones that is 30 to 100 feet around the property. And that may start getting into the neighboring areas. So we take all of that, all of that information into account. Of course, in some cases, you have influence on that neighboring zone to how to keep that clear. In some cases, unfortunately, you may not have influence because it's outside of your control. But all those things play a play a part in the risk for your own property. And, and you talked in there earlier about wind, I guess, wind direction is obviously a very big impact on fires, but that's somewhat short term in, in sort of time horizons. So are your sort of probabilistic risk assessments or your, your risk assessment and pricing, are they varying on sort of narrower time periods and might we might have conventionally looked at with your catastrophic models when you're looking over multiple years? Are you looking at it more in terms of sections of a, of a year, weeks, days, months? While we can, from a technology standpoint, one of the design criteria when we build this course was that our customers can actually use them, right? And our customers are mostly, uh, you know, carriers who are writing policies for at least one year. And most likely these policies renew and they're on their book for multiple years, right? So our goal with this product was to provide a view of risk that is aligned with the time frame. So it's no good if I tell you that, hey, in the months of May and June, this property is high risk, but then in August and September, it's low risk, right? That kind of defeats the purpose. So we try to uh, at least provide an annual view of risk that can stretch into multiple years. Uh, so yeah, wind direction is, is certainly important, but the way we kind of capture that is we look at you know historical patterns, where have wildfires have happened, how has wind influenced those wildfires? So rather than let directly wind influence it on a month-to-month basis, we're able to incorporate that same data, but provide more of a annual view of risk, which is kind of what our customers want. And then what about climate change? You look beyond the 12-month horizon. Increasingly, our regulators are asking companies to report and why they're thinking about climate change in the future. But are you building that into your models? And do you have a view as to what climate change is going to be doing for the frequency and severity of uh, wildfire in the future? So we are looking at, um, you know, how, for example, uh, you know, precipitation, how, for example, droughts and how forest cover, how all of that has changed over time. So fires that have happened maybe 30 years ago are not necessarily representative of the wildfires that are happening now, right? So we take into account a lot more of the recent events. And there is also an interesting interplay here because one of the one of the important design criteria for us when we built this product was to make sure that regulators are going to let the product be used for both underwriting and rating, right? And there are some regulators in the United States where, you know, in some jurisdictions, if you use events that are not real, that are simulated events, let's say a stochastic model, then, you know, it's not necessarily eligible. That model becomes ineligible for use in rating, right? So we had to kind of weigh the balance of how much simulation do we want to do versus how much real events we want to use, but the, the the way we have built the product, we can certainly incorporate the changing patterns because the fires, you know, from 10 years, 20 years ago are no longer the fires that are happening now. And we want to make sure that the model works for today and in the future. I mean, one of the things I've noticed being out in California and Peter talked about is you've got increasing incidents of things like um, aspen trees dying back and other vegetation that's dying that you know, was living before. I presume that that's a major influence in certain areas, I guess not everywhere. But are there things happening like, such as that, as well as the, the, the traditional way we think of climate change that are also making the wildfires riskier and more frequent? Yeah, that's right. I think it's not only the type of vegetation that is thriving, right, that is kind of becoming drier because of uh, precipitation and because of drought. Uh, drought also plays an important part, you know, especially in California. California has been drought. 
I believe uh, eight of the last twelve years or so, right? So that that plays a that plays a big part. So vegetation that is normally um, has more moisture, healthier, is now drier, right? So even you know just parks can just completely combust an entire area. Uh, so I think that certainly plays a part. Um, so it's it's interplay of everything. It's not only just the vegetation by itself. It's how precipitation, how drought, and also one more thing. What has made this uh, even more of a crisis in California specifically is the way properties are also being uh, developed. Now, more and more properties are being developed in the wildland urban interface areas compared to purely urban areas in the past. As cities expand, they are now encroaching upon the wildland urban interface areas. So even though wildfires, let's say, happen in the same regions from past, now they have much more destruction because they are in the path of homes when in the past they may not have been in the path of homes. Interesting. I mean, the, yeah, the equivalent is certainly in the UK for flood, because I, unlike many countries, flood is well historically was covered, is still covered slightly different way for insurance. But there's certain limitations on what can be insured. So if somebody builds a house in a floodplain, you, you no longer get insurance for it. Is that are you seeing evidence that's starting to happen? And I guess it varies by state. But in California, for example, are, are there rules starting to be imposed about where developers can build houses? Or is that it's still still a bit of a free for all? Um, I, I would say it's somewhere in the middle, right? It's uh, it's it's starting to get regulated, but it's still, I think, possible to build. I don't think there are any explicit regulations that prohibit building properties in the wildland urban interface. Uh, what I'm hoping is that, you know, with, with the type of events that are happening now and with the losses that we are seeing, and also the, the kind of effect it's having on the insurance market, all of this is providing market signal as well to folks, right, to people who are either buying homes in these areas or building properties here. So, you know, some of those market signals will mitigate it. So there is no regulation per se that prohibits it, but the market signals are are making people think. Yeah, actually, I want to come back to that market signals one in a moment, but just wanted to understand how an insurance carrier actually uses your data. So they'll already have their models, they'll have their underwriting workbenches, they've got workflow once they start licensing the Zesty analytics and data, how, how do they use that your day-to-day in their own decision-making? So one of the things that I, I think I should probably elaborate on, we talked a lot about the climate scores that Zesty provides. You know, that's one of our product lines. We have a product line also where we provide property intelligence, right? And we call that product Z property. Um, and the, the fire product is called Z fire. So with the Z property product line, what we're offering to insurers is when they send us an address, we send them back all the in, you know property intelligence data that we have about that property, such as, you know, is there a swimming pool on the property? How big is that pool? Uh, what type of roof is it, right? What is the condition of that roof? Uh, is there debris in the yard, for example? Is there a tall tree nearby, right? So we, we, are, we are able to provide 40 to 50 different data points on that property. So all of that information is being used, like in the case of wildfire, even this property intelligence is being used for underwriting and rating, right? So for example, you know, a property that may have a really poor condition roof with a lot of debris around it might, might be declined potentially, right? From a, from a, you know, underwriting standpoint. And a lot of the elements that we provide are now being used as factors into rate making as well, because what we have seen or what our customers are seeing is these data points historically have never been collected. So it's all net new data. And they are seeing significant correlations between certain data points and the way claims are happening for them, either in terms of 
uh, frequency of claims or severity of claims or you know just the replacement cost estimates for a property might be better refined by all of this data so that's kind of how uh, our customers are using both our z property data risk selection and rating like our you know wildfire scores as well in the case of wildfire score they're using it primarily for those that that particular peril whereas in the case of z property it's for pretty much you know everything right it can be both climate driven risks as well as attritional non climate risks as well and i'm assuming because you're a relatively new company and you're a smart team that when the underwriters are using your 40 different attributes there's an api or some way of in basically giving them access to that information they might choose to look at it it might be automated there might be some kind of triage but there's not a separate zesty system they've got to log into and recode all of the details each time they want to get some data or analytics exactly we provide an api integration where it's all seamless for them all the data that they need comes directly into the platform they're already using uh, whatever either it's a homegrown system or it's some kind of a policy management system like uh, guidewire duck creek um we also have a, a web application there are some customers that do prefer to um log into our system while they do have the api integration because what our system does is we provide in our web application we provide additional visual tools that help underwriters investigate a property in more detail so we provide the images we provide a way to zoom in on certain things right um so it does provide some additional functionality and some of our customers are taking advantage of that additional functionality and on that property that you're providing the information on it, what's the the range or spread of what you're offering so sounds like you got homeowners in there are you also moving into commercial small sort of and large commercial sort of properties and uh and facilities our uh solutions cover both our climate risk scores as well as our property intelligence uh, suite of products they cover both personal lines and commercial lines so we're able to offer that for home small commercial medium commercial we have done a lot of work on the commercial line space as well because one of the challenges that we hear from our customers on commercial lines is that a lot of the times it's hard for them to when they are writing a policy to even know what structures are corresponding to that policy in a home it's very easy one address one structure it's fairly straightforward but in the case of commercial properties it's a lot harder you can have campus type buildings and usually the brokers who are filing the application the right the total square footage they don't say hey there are actually seven structures here each one is this much Well, if you're struggling with your data, then you're not alone. This problem that Kumar points out is just one of the many challenges facing insurers today. One of the top three themes, in fact, for the year, according to the companies we spoke to at the beginning of this year. Now, you can find out some of the solutions available, including, of course, Zesty, in our location intelligence report, available on the website at instec.co. Although maybe one day, the data we need might just be gathered at source once and shared with all. Who knows? Back to Kumar. with our system we are able to intelligently figure out once we have an address for the location we know what exactly is the land parcels associated with that address and what all structures are part of it and we give a lot more clarity at the structure level and so as you're expanding beyond california i know you're in other states now you you may have some clients that want to start off licensing your property data they wouldn't necessarily license wildfire they might not even be a wildfire risk but they they don't have to just buy the wildfire they think they, they can choose a different set of suite of products that's right yeah and 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 maybe one thing to clarify right our products are now available in all of the contiguous uh, us states right so it's not necessarily only in california 
I, I mentioned California, California as an example because that's where wildfires happen. But wildfires are increasingly happening in a lot more states uh, beyond California as well. Um, so in about 15 states are, are what, what are being seen as at risk for wildfires in the United States. Uh, and then, and then also we have that property intelligence product suite that's available in all the, all the states and, and customer, we have customers from West Coast, East Coast, Midwest and so on. And then also beyond wildfires too, we have products targeting hail and hail is an event that is much more prevalent in the Midwest in the U.S., less on the west coast so we have a lot of customers from the midwest as well for for the hail product uh so it's pretty pretty broad based yeah also one of those ones that requires very high resolution modeling and again like wildfire in the past has been has been quite tr- difficult to model so i can see how a natural fit on that and then there's been stories about insurance companies withdrawing from areas like california where they don't want to offer insurance and therefore they, they they don't want to offer wildfire insurance. What's been your experience? And, and I guess part of it is, you know, how does the insurance commissioner encourage companies to stay in those states and offer insurance? Because that's a pretty key part of what they need to protect their, uh, their citizens. That's right. We are seeing now regulators also start to embrace uh, property-specific type of models, right, for exactly the same reason. The problem with broad-based models is that they take a black and white view of risk, right? And the resolution is so coarse, and this is causing insurers to essentially say, hey, I don't want to do business in this state because it's just not helping me write business, right? And and one of the things that we have done as a company is really work very closely with regulators, even during our product design and development phase, to make sure that the product that we are building is in line with where regulators are going as well. In addition to regulators pushing for more property level risk models, which is which is how we built our product, one of the other things that regulators are increasingly pushing for is more explainable models. They don't want black box models, right? That is the, one of the key roles of insurance, isn't it? Is to encourage the policyholders to take responsibility for some of that risk mitigation. And then what about the, making the business case? Because that's always a challenge, providing data to companies is explaining you know, the benefits you get, particularly the benefit of not writing the risks that could have caused a loss. How, how do you help your clients understand or your potential clients understand the value and validity of what you're offering them? It depends on the, the product line that we are offering. But broadly, if you think about the, the value that our customers are getting, it's about avoided losses, right? And it's also about getting additional premium. Those are the two broad categories of value that customers see. In terms of avoided loss, uh, again, I go back to the wildfire example because it's easy to articulate. Um, if you save, you, you know, one home that would have otherwise been destroyed by a wildfire, either you didn't write the home or you were able to convince the policyholder to do some mitigation that materially reduced the risk of the property. Either way, right, you essentially saved a home. That's essentially, you know, close to a million dollar saving. Now, we, of course, help our carriers make better risk selection, but also because the product is used for rating, we're able to align the rates closer to the actual risk profile in the in the policy. So what this means is that, you know, they're not they're, their margins are essentially right sized according to the risk of a particular property, and this enables them to actually go deeper into which properties they are able to write. Because if they just write on an average price and not based on a price that is reflective of the risk, you really can't go and write as many policies. In fact, uh, one of our customers um, is is Farmers Insurance. And they have, you know, they've been quoted on Wall Street Journal where they say that they've been able to write 
30,000 additional policies as a result of working with Zesty that they would not have otherwise been able to write by using those coarser models. Wow, it's a pretty compelling business case. So 30,000 more policies, the ones presumably felt they, that would, they could be absorbed in their portfolio and possibly not even buy any more reinsurance or capacity around that. No, so that's really helpful to hear. And, and then things are changing quite fast with people and their properties. So taking things down, adding things on, things deteriorate. How do you keep up to date for your property intelligence data around, around these? The way we have set up our, our data platform is that we are ingesting um, you know, source data from multiple places. Zesty focuses more on the analytics, so we don't do our own data collection, right? So we are working with other partners in the ecosystem who collect the data, but we work with many of them. So we work with partners who are collecting um, imagery using their own satellites. We are working with partners who are collecting imagery by flying aircrafts. We are working with partners who are collecting imagery by flying drones. And usually what we do, depending on the use case, we try to have a, a new image or a new source of information for the property roughly once every three to four months. So that way we are able to keep up, up to date with what is happening. In fact, there are some partners who provide us even with a daily refresh of imagery. Of course, the daily refresh comes at a cost. The resolution is coarser, so we don't use it for all the use cases, but for some use cases, we, we tend to use them. But for most of the, the use cases that ZST works on, we tend to refresh once every three to four months. And then you're just talking about some of your clients there. You're referring mostly to U.S. insurance carriers. I guess that's the admitted carriers. But what about other organizations you're working with? So, for example, MGAs and other types of specialty insurers or brokers or reinsurers, are they also tapping into the, the data you're providing? Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, in fact, um, you know, we are working with... Uh, Several MGAs, reinsurers, and as well as brokers, right? Aon is one of our biggest uh, partners. Uh, we have worked very closely with them, both during product development and, of course, also in disseminating the value of the market. Uh, Aon has been quite helpful in educating uh, carriers, MGAs, reinsurers, because they work with everybody. Where we are seeing the biggest impact, if you, if you, if you look at the, uh, the carriers in the U.S., we are working with uh, close to a third of the top 25 carriers. Um, and, and we usually start with helping them with one product line, one use case. But once they see that, hey, this is adding value, right, then they uh, typically tend to start expanding, right, in terms of both products that they use from us and also use cases and also geographically, they tend to expand usage as well. And this is the same thing that we are seeing even with MGS as well. Of course, they are smaller typically, but that's the same thing. Start with one and then later on expand to multiple use cases. Are you selling directly into people outside of the US? I mean, talk about the MGAs and the reinsurers. So over in uh, London or in Europe, are they also able to buy your products? Or are we still mostly based in the US? We are still focused on the US market. We have international carriers that have US entities or US businesses work with us in that regard. The way we built our data platform is pretty broad-based, where for us to add an additional geography, it's not that much of heavy lift. We have chosen to focus more on the U.S. market, um, but that doesn't mean that for us, um, you know, going international is hard. It's it's quite easy. Uh, it is something that it is on our roadmap to extend internationally as well. In fact, we do get a lot of inbound queries from some of our international partners to to do what we have done in the U.S. and do that internationally. So that's something that we are preparing for. We are not doing that at the minute, but it's something on our roadmap. Okay, so just to make sure, I think we're clear on that one. So, so you, you'll sell into people around the world, but it's the, the the perils are U.S. perils. But at some point, you might start moving fees for the for the perils and the property intelligence. 
That's exactly right. It being able to offer that for properties outside the US. Hi there, I'm Tara, one of the research analysts at Instech. Our next event is on the 24th of May at Codenode in London. This event is sponsored by both Mastercard and Stripe. Join us at 5:30 as we discuss how the insurance industry can benefit from a more strategic and inclusive approach to insurance payments. For more information on how to register, please visit www.instech.co forward slash events. And then you touched on claims earlier on. I know you're doing some things in claims as well. In fact, you're appearing in our remote claims assessment report coming uh, next week. So people can read a bit more about you in there. But can you just talk a bit about what companies are, are working with you on for for claims? Yeah. So claims is something that we have been exploring now over the past, um, you know, uh, you know, one to two years. And what, what we are seeing is that, you know, the, the value uh, proposition for our product in claims is how to make uh, claims processing a lot more efficient. And there are a couple of use cases that, that I can highlight. One of them is uh, today uh, on the property side, one of the pain points that uh, claims organizations are struggling with is, um, you know, roofs dominate the, the the amount of claims that properties have. I think about forty percent of all claims are somewhat related to the roof, and um, you need to be able to send the right inspector to the property to to take a look at the roof. Right? You know, some of them are skilled with certain types of roofs, uh, and also they need to be able to carry the right equipment with them to be able to go on top of the roof, the right ladder, the right type of ladder, and so on. It's been a hit or a miss so far because they would just send somebody and then, you know, if that person is not suitable, they would then come back and they would have to redo the whole thing. But what we've been able to do with our property intelligence product is we have we have been able to build digital twins for all of the properties in virtual space, right? So we're essentially able to model a property in three dimensions as part of our Z property product line. And because we're able to model that in three dimensions, we exactly know how tall a building is, you know, what is exactly the size of the roof? Uh, what is the height of the, you know, roof eave, for example? And this enables the claims organization to essentially send the right inspector with the right equipment. So there is just, you know, less wastage. So that's one use case, for example. Another use case is related to uh, better triaging of, of uh, claims after, after an event. You know, being able to quickly assess based on imagery and being able to say, okay, this property, you know, the claim is pretty straightforward. You know, you don't have to potentially send an adjuster, just, you know, uh, approve the claim, right? Whereas other other ones, maybe you need to investigate more. So being able to help them with that kind of triaging is another use case that uh, that we are helping our customers with. Yeah, I mean, in some cases, sadly, it's rather binary. I mean, your property's been destroyed by a wildfire. It's pretty clear that's a total loss. At that point, they can uh, the, the claims payment, and then we touched on hail as another peril we're looking at, or you're looking at. What else have you got in mind, or have you got lined up for other perils you'll be releasing in the near future? Yeah, so um, we are actively focused on wildfires and hail, and also severe convective storms. Right, hail is just one manifestation of that. Um, we are seeing a lot of um, uh, interest from our customers in taking some of our data and modeling again all of those secondary perils. Flood is also uh, on our on our roadmap. It's something that's still in the R and D phase for us. We have not released a flood product into the market yet, but that's something that we hope to do. One of the one of the key things with flood is, um, you know, historically again, flood models uh, have focused more on hey, which regions are more susceptible for flood, right? 
but they don't usually focus on if there is a flood, what is the likelihood that a property would actually get damaged by the flood, right? So we want to be able to do the first part better than what is being done in the market today, but then completely, you know, introduce this concept of the second part, the level two part, where even if a flood event happens, okay, is this property actually at risk or not, right? And the way we are able to do that is we would look at what is the, um, you know, height of that, that, that first floor or ground, ground level height, right? Because some properties are at, at, at ground level. Some properties may, may have a, you know, a few steps before you get to the ground level. And that makes a huge difference. Some properties have a basement. Some properties don't. That also makes a big difference. So being able to model all of that along with looking at is the, is the, is a particular area at risk for flood, I think will completely, you know, change the game of how flood risk is viewed. Um, it's something that we are working working on still. Uh, it's on our roadmap. Uh, we have not released that yet into the market. Yeah, there's definitely a big demand for that. So Kumar, we've discussed a lot. You've been very gracious in answering my questions. Is there anything we haven't talked about that I should have asked you or we should be learning from you? One of the things that 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 we are seeing is that the the pandemic is in some way accelerated the digitalization that insurance companies were talking about before, but not necessarily ready to act. But in, in some ways, the pandemic has forced many of many of our customers to get there faster, right? What I want to say is the technology is ready. It's, it's available, right? And we have already shown uh, the use cases to work. And that's been evidenced by the type of customers we've been able to bring on board and, and what they've been able to, what they, what they are saying, uh, essentially the value that they are seeing from working with us, for example. So what I would say is if you are still on the fence about, hey, is the technology there or not? I can assure you the technology is there. Um, and the use cases are, are, you know, risk selection, rating, claims, and, and there is a lot more that we can do with this technology. So I would just say embrace it, test it out, and then you will see the value for yourself. Yeah, it's no longer legacy technology. It's just legacy mindset. Well, come on, that's been really fascinating. I certainly learned a lot more about wildfire in there. Yeah, thank you very much for your support for Instec and you know, as I said, the report's going out. We'll be talking a bit about what you're doing and maybe see each other again in or see each other in California. I saw Tito there in November last year, you know, that, and hopefully if you're in London, we can get you on stage and introduce you to, you know, our lively uh, and live audience who are always keen to hear from people doing mm-hmm. interesting things like this. Absolutely. Matthew, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Well, it's fascinating to hear how Zesty has carved a new business area for itself. And if you're wondering how companies like Zesty get involved with Instec and what we're up to at Instec, and want to learn more about how you can get access to our insights, reports, everything else we're doing, or if you're a technology company and wondering why you might be falling behind with communicating to the world, then let us know and find out what we have to offer. You can contact me, Matthew Grant, on LinkedIn or any of us, hello at instec.co.